I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Hey everyone, it's Jamie. Some of you already know that I host another true crime podcast called Dirty Money Moves. Ever since we wrapped season one of the podcast, people have been asking when season two would drop. Well, it's dropped, and the case we're covering in season two is jaw-dropping. In season two of Dirty Money Moves, we're covering the case of con artist Tara Lee, who facilitated adoption scams against vulnerable people. Tara sold herself as being a certified doula and the owner of a licensed adoption agency. In reality, she was none of those things. In order to get her dirty hands on other people's money, Tara often matched potential adoptive parents with babies and birth mothers who didn't even exist. She also left expectant mothers, who she was supposed to be taking care of, living in deplorable conditions, with no running water or heat. Tara scammed over $2 million out of families who were desperate to adopt a baby, all so she could spend lavishly at Louis Vuitton and other high-end stores. Tara's luck did eventually run out when some of her victims and associates started seeing red flags. Soon, the FBI would be knocking on Tara's door, and her scam business would crumble. But not before she wreaked havoc on and emotionally shattered countless people's lives. In Season 2, you'll hear directly from some of Tara's victims and those who worked with her. And they offer a 3D look at this scammer's tactics and shocking behavior. Season 2 of Dirty Money Moves is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And you're about to hear Episode 1 of the podcast now. Right now would be the perfect time to hit pause, search for Dirty Money Moves in your podcast player, and hit follow or subscribe so you can start binging all of the episodes. Please enjoy this special preview of Dirty Money Moves Season 2. This podcast discusses cases in which a crime may have occurred. 
It's important to advise that all parties mentioned or generally referred to on Dirty Money Moves are presumed innocent until proven guilty by law. Opinions and viewpoints expressed on this podcast don't necessarily reflect those of the podcast host, Murderish, or Cloud10 Media. It was the fall of 2018 in Atlanta, Georgia. The weather was nearly perfect, 80 degrees and mostly sunny. The temperatures hadn't yet dropped into the low 30s like they would in the coming months. It was an absolutely beautiful day for reasons much more profound than the sunshine and blue skies. With Halloween coming up in a few weeks and the holiday season right around the corner, Teresa and Mike Matheny couldn't help but be excited about experiencing this time of year in a way they had only been dreaming about for years. Today, they were packing up their car in preparation for a 700-mile trip to Michigan the next day, a trip that would change their lives forever. After years of trying to have children on their own, including two failed rounds of fertility treatments, Teresa and Mike were finally getting a baby and they were absolutely over the moon. Nearly two years earlier, the couple had decided to go the adoption route, but they discovered it was a lengthy and very difficult process. Eventually, the Matheny's were referred to Always Hope Pregnancy Center in Michigan and were delighted to be matched with a birth mother. It was a long time coming, and as is the case with many people who've waited a long time to adopt a baby, Teresa and Mike had become absolutely desperate to have a family. They longed to hold and love a baby of their own. Now, it was actually happening, and the excitement was palpable. Teresa and Mike had already fallen in love with this child. They'd made up a nursery, bought clothes and toys, and all the things needed for a newborn baby. They even had items monogrammed. The Matheny's were all in but their tears of joy would quickly turn to cries of disbelief. That night, as their car sat packed and ready for their trip in the morning, Teresa got an email that made her heart sink. Then, a series of phone calls that ended with her collapsing to the floor of her basement in total devastation. Teresa couldn't breathe. All she felt was her heart cracking wide open. She could barely find the air to scream out to her husband. The person on the other end of the phone line had just told Teresa that Tara Lynn Lee, the woman who ran Always Hope and who'd already taken $13,000 from Teresa and Mike for their adoption, was apparently running a scam, double matching families to the same birth mother or matching them to birth mothers or babies that didn't even exist and pocketing the money for herself. The FBI was investigating Tara Lee, and Teresa and Mike had just found out they were smack dab in the middle of all of it. To top it off, Tara, who'd claimed to be a licensed social worker and certified doula, was neither of those things. She had even been giving physical exams to some of the birth mothers. 
Tara's master's degree in social work from Northwestern University was completely fabricated, and she wasn't even licensed to run Always Hope in the state of Michigan. By the end of the FBI's investigation, they would discover that though some families were able to successfully complete adoptions through Always Hope, an overwhelming majority did not. Tara preyed on at least 160 desperate families from 24 different states and took $2.1 million from her unsuspecting victims, not to mention the 70 vulnerable birth mothers she involved in her scams, some of whom she coerced into giving up their babies. Birth mothers she failed to properly advocate and care for during her charade, whom she left without running water, heat, or electricity, and living in bug-infested homes. All the while, Tara was spending hundreds of thousands of dollars at high-end jewelry and clothing stores, remodeling her kitchen, and traveling around the world. How was Tara able to get so many people to keep giving her their money and their trust, and in some cases, their babies, sometimes in the face of multiple failed adoptions and unbelievable excuses? Was Tara Lee a wicked person, void of empathy who created Always Hope in order to finance her expensive shopping habits? Or was this simply a case of a decent person who lost her way? Did Tara con these people on her own? Or did she have help? Who is Tara Lynn Lee? And how'd she end up becoming one of the most hated women in America? From Murderish and Cloud 10 Media, this is Dirty Money Moves, Women in White Collar Crime, a podcast that dives into one story told over several weekly episodes. In season two, I'm taking you along as I look into a woman with an expensive taste for luxury jewelry and accessories who satisfied her desires by taking money from the vulnerable and disadvantaged. A woman who preyed on the hopes and dreams of hundreds of desperate people destroying countless families for generations to come. A con artist of the worst kind, whose cruelty knew no limits. This is episode one, Becoming Tara Lee. Tara Lynn Guitar was born in Macomb County, Michigan on July 24, 1981 to Randy Edward Guitar and Kelly Lynn Comerford. Kelly became pregnant with Tara when she was only 17 and still a student at Chippewa Valley High School in Clinton Township. Randy also attended Chippewa Valley, but graduated several years earlier in 1978. Clinton Township shares a southern border with the city of Detroit along Eight Mile Road, which was made famous by the 2002 movie of the same name starring rapper Eminem, who's from the area and currently lives in Clinton Township. The eastern edge of Macomb County runs down the middle of Lake St. Clair and is actually the international border with Ontario, Canada. When Tara was born, her parents weren't married. This led to Tara being listed as a ward on a court document filed on August 3, 1981, when she was only 10 days old. Though it might sound like Tara was made a ward of the state as an infant, which might make you wonder what was going on in the home to cause the state to take the baby, in reality, 
It was just a very common legal document. Tara was not a ward of the state. It was simply an acknowledgement of paternity filing, and it's part of a legal process where unmarried parents acknowledge the paternity of their child. It's done for several legal reasons, such as adding the father's name to the birth certificate, which is most likely what was happening in Tara's case. At some point, soon after Kelly's graduation from high school, she and Randy did get married, and by May of 1983, Tara's brother Rob was born. The young family stayed within Clinton Township in Mount Clemens, a city well known for the natural mineral springs scattered throughout the area. Randy ran the service department for a local Cadillac dealership, and Kelly was a stay-at-home mom. Their marriage didn't last long, however, and by early 1985, Tara's parents divorced when she was just three years old. Kelly was given custody of the children, and she and Randy remained close. In August of 1989, Kelly married John Paul Jones in Port Huron, Michigan. A few months before the wedding, Tara's half-sister Katie was born. Eventually, Tara would have a total of five siblings. According to an October 2021 article for The New Yorker, written by Sheila Kulhatkar, Tara said that her mother had been a supermarket manager and that growing up, they ate at the dinner table as a family every single night. She and her siblings also got into trouble for having their elbows on the table. Tara, who'd later commit horrendous scams, was sure to tell the journalist, I was raised with manners and respect. Tara attended Anchor Bay High School from 1996 to 1999, which was located in Chesterfield Township, also in Macomb County. Tara's senior class was one of the last to graduate from the campus before it was converted into a middle school in 2003. The current Anchor Bay High School campus is now located in Fairhaven. Tara was an average student and was described as being a people person. She was outgoing, popular, and very easy to talk to, all qualities that would no doubt play heavily into how well she manipulated people later on in life. While attending high school, Tara started dating one of her classmates, Jeremy Lee. In 1999, after they graduated from Anchor Bay, it appears that Jeremy and Tara moved to Florida together, and Tara started working at Epcot, a theme park at Walt Disney World Resort in Bay Lake. According to records, they lived in an apartment in the city of Apopka, which was about 20 miles from Epcot. The New Yorker article mentioned that during this time of her life, Tara was just trying to figure things out. She was exploring. But what consumed her dreams was being rich and successful. Tara had big plans for herself after she graduated from high school. She couldn't wait to get out of Mount Clemens and become a successful corporate attorney. She longed to have an apartment in New York City, somewhere on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, an extremely posh neighborhood known for its wealthy current and former residents, like fashion designer Kate Spade and singer Lady Gaga as well as its expensive shops like Louis Vuitton and Cartier. Clearly, Tara was focused on having a life of luxury early on in her life, and it points to why she eventually spent so much of her victim's money at those same stores. It may even offer some insight as to why she got into the adoption business in the first place. 
But despite her big dreams, New York would have to wait. In February of 2001, Tara was evicted from the apartment in Apopka, and though Jeremy is not listed on the court docket for the eviction, both Tara and Jeremy are associated with the apartment address listed on the court documents. It's unclear exactly why they moved back to Michigan, but in December of 2001, Jeremy purchased a home on Woodmont Street in Roseville, Michigan for $103,000. Roseville is in Macomb County, so it would seem that Jeremy and Tara wanted to stay close to family who were still living in the area. By 2002, they had welcomed their first daughter into the world and were married a short time later. Unfortunately, the 2001 eviction in Florida was just the start of legal and financial problems for the young couple. In August of 2002, Jeremy was arrested and charged with two counts of delivery or manufacture of MDMA, also known as ecstasy or molly. The charges were dismissed the following month, pursuant to a plea deal he made involving two other cases, but we couldn't find any details on the final charge or sentencing information. Then, in January of 2003, a civil judgment was ordered against Tara for an unknown case in the amount of $10,261. The month after that judgment, she filed for bankruptcy. On the list of creditors attached to the bankruptcy were numerous banks, credit card companies, collection agencies, the apartment from Florida, and Baker College in Clinton Township. Interestingly, the lawyer Tara used for that bankruptcy would wind up suing her in April of 2004 and winning a judgment in the amount of $505. In August of 2003, when Tara was 22, court records show that she was awarded limited guardianship of her half-sister, Katie Lynn Jones. Katie was 14 at the time. The case files are not available, so we don't know the reasons for the guardianship. We do know that, generally speaking, a limited guardianship is appointed by the court when the child's parents consent to the suspension or termination of their rights as parents. The court must also consent to a placement plan, which includes the reasons for the guardianship and how long the guardianship will be. It's possible that Tara was her sister's guardian until Katie reached the age of 18, though no records were found showing the placement plan or termination date. By January of 2004, Tara and Jeremy had fallen behind on their mortgage payments for the house on Woodmont Street, and the bank foreclosed on the home. It appears they didn't move out of the house in a timely manner, because records show a forcible eviction from that location six months later. To make matters worse, there were several other judgments against the couple in 2004, including a small claims judgment against Tara for $300 and a civil judgment against both Tara and Jeremy for $8,799, where the plaintiff was Tara's own aunt. It's not known what this case was regarding, but the fact that a family member sued Tara and Jeremy could be a sign that any issues they were having went well beyond the average financial mishap. Tara and Jeremy's financial woes 
could help to explain why Tara was also going around town writing bad checks to a shocking number of businesses during 2004. But those crimes and several other felonies wouldn't catch up to her until the next year. 2005 was a year filled with multiple arrests and court hearings, both criminal and civil, which would ultimately help lay the foundation for Tara's descent into becoming a master con artist in the future. These cases had major financial effects that lasted well into 2016, so it's not hard to draw connections between those lasting financial impacts and Tara establishing Always Hope in 2014. We'll talk more about that in another episode. One of the cases filed in 2005 was for NSF checks over $500. This case would eventually end with Tara pleading guilty to a felony on November 2nd in exchange for several other cases being dismissed, including two arrests from 2004, one for writing a no-account check and one for obtaining property by false pretenses with the intent to defraud where the property was worth between $1,000 and $20,000. As part of her guilty plea, Tara was sentenced to two years probation. As a condition of her probation, Tara had to pay restitution, totaling about $4,700. Court documents also state that she had to resume employment and mental health treatment after delivery of baby. This means that not only was Tara pregnant and not working at the time the sentence was handed down, but she was either already ordered into mental health treatment as part of a prior sentence, or she was being ordered to begin treatment as a result of this one. Considering there were over 20 businesses that Tara defrauded during her string of shopping sprees, perhaps the court saw just how big of a problem she had and was attempting to get her some help before she was beyond reach. It's unfortunate that so many families would wind up being destroyed by Tara's actions in the future, despite the court's efforts here. This case was far from over though, and by March of 2006, Tara's restitution was increased to about $22,000 as more victims were discovered. Tara wrote bad checks to several jewelry and furniture stores, plumbing and flooring businesses, a veterinary hospital, pet supply businesses, party rental companies, and Costco, just to name a few. In August of 2007, an arrest warrant was issued for a probation violation related to this case. The next month, Tara was given another year of probation because of that violation. A second arrest warrant was issued in May of 2008 for yet another probation violation, resulting in Tara's probation being extended an additional two years. We don't know what the probation violations were, but I think it's safe to say that Tara was having trouble following the rules set forth by the court. Each bad check that she wrote was considered an act of intentional fraud which implied that Tara knew exactly what she was doing when she set foot in those businesses. She either didn't have any money in her account or didn't have an account at all when she purchased goods and services from these companies. These actions showed her increasing willingness to take what she wanted 
without regard for consequences or who she might be hurting in the process. I imagine that's exactly the kind of behavior and mindset the court was trying to help Tara avoid when it ordered her into mental health treatment. Tara had another felony case that began in 2005 and carried over into 2006 from a neighboring county within the city of Detroit. A court in Wayne County issued a warrant for her arrest after she failed to appear for one of the proceedings related to more fraud charges. Ultimately, Tara pled guilty to one charge in exchange for the dismissal of another. She was sentenced to three years of probation and ordered to pay almost $9,000 in restitution, as well as to perform community service. It's interesting to note that Tara paid off her restitution for both of these cases by making two large payments on the exact same day, October 6, 2008. One payment was for just over $20,000 and the other for almost $8,000. That's a lot of money to pay all at once, especially considering the financial mess Tara was in. As far as income during this time, Tara worked as a trainer at California Pizza Kitchen, according to her LinkedIn profile. The current pay for a server at CPK in Clinton Township, according to Indeed.com, is $19.55 per hour, and a hostess makes just over $13 per hour. The pay would have been much less in 2008. At the time, Jeremy was working as a service technician for a company called Patriot Supply, Inc., which also did business under the name of Capital Supply Heating and Cooling, he most likely made between $28,000 and $32,000 per year, not including overtime, according to information he provided on bankruptcy documents. It was a big deal for them to be able to put nearly $30,000 toward Tara's restitution and do it while they were severely in debt and hampered by continued arrests and civil lawsuits. How were they able to get that kind of money together in only a few years especially when more judgments were filed against Tara during that time. We'll talk more about the couple's possible income source a bit later. In addition to these criminal cases, Tara was the defendant in a civil case brought against her by K&W Cycles, Inc. in November of 2005, which was only two weeks after she was sentenced to probation and the mental health treatment we previously talked about. Apparently, Tara wrote a bad check to purchase a snowmobile from K&W, and in April of 2006, the court handed down a judgment against her for just shy of $28,000. Tara wasn't able to drop a big payment to cover this balance, though, and her earnings were garnished for at least the next 10 years. Sometime amid dealing with all of these cases, toward the end of 2005, Tara gave birth to her second child, another daughter. Assuming Tara still had guardianship of her sister, she and Jeremy were now responsible for three children, while they were buried by increasing debt, all at the young age of 24. I imagine that even though there was probably great joy at the birth of their second daughter, with everything stacking up against them legally and financially, this must have been a very stressful time for the Lees. 
Tara and Jeremy saw their fair share of civil judgments against them throughout 2006 and 2007, about seven total, though only two of them involved Jeremy. The total amount of judgments in those cases was about $17,400. Sometime in 2007, Tara gave birth to their third child, this time a son. The growing family needed a bigger house, and in March of 2008, Jeremy, along with Tara's stepfather, John Jones, were listed as the owners of a home on Lowell Street in Roseville. It's unclear who paid for the three-bedroom, two-bathroom, 1,450-square-foot home, but it was purchased for $130,540. Perhaps Tara leveraged the equity in this home to pay off some of her previous debts. It could explain how she was able to make lump sum payments of nearly $30,000 in a single day in order to fulfill her restitution, just seven months after the house was purchased. Or it's possible Tara or Jeremy's parents or grandparents stepped in to help with their debts. There's no way to know for sure. We did reach out to Tara and several of her family members for comments, but no one responded. However, it does seem that despite everything, Tara and Jeremy have a tight-knit family who would have been more than willing to help them out. By the end of 2008, Tara and Jeremy had three children of their own, and Tara's sister Katie was possibly living with them as well. They still had a mountain of debt, and Tara's wages were being garnished in order to ensure at least some of that debt was being paid down. At some point, though, it seemed like things were starting to look up. They had a new house, and Tara was working toward fulfilling her probation requirements. Could it be that starting over in a new house and taking care of a growing family was exactly what Tara needed to find fulfillment and get her life back on track? Perhaps Tara could put her past behind her, finish out her probation, and continue to pay off her debts. Maybe she could even get to a point where she was successful enough to finally make those Upper East Side dreams a reality. Next time on Dirty Money Moves, God has new plans for Tara, and she willingly accepts the challenges of her higher calling, helping at-risk pregnant women. Always Hope Pregnancy Center comes to life, backed by Tara's passionate mission statement, merging families over one heartbeat. As sourced by the Opportunist podcast and heard on an episode which aired August 24, 2021, Tara created a YouTube channel to advertise and promote the success of Always Hope, including a brand new second location. Hey there, everyone. It's me, Tara, the founder and director of Always Hope Pregnancy Center, and we are live with you today from our brand new office. Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Research and writing is done by Gina Mazzolini. Emily Crane does the audio mixing and editing. Josh Cook composed the music, and Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram and TikTok. If you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us a few stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
or wherever you're listening now. If you're into true crime content, check out my other podcast, Murderish. A list of sources used for this episode is available at Murderish.com. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week for a brand new episode. Hey everyone, it's Jamie. Some of you already know that I host another true crime podcast called Dirty Money Moves. Ever since we wrapped season one of the podcast, people have been asking when season two would drop. Well, it's dropped, and the case we're covering in season two is jaw-dropping. In season two of Dirty Money Moves, we're covering the case of con artist Tara Lee, who facilitated adoption scams against vulnerable people. Tara sold herself as being a certified doula and the owner of a licensed adoption agency. In reality, she was none of those things. In order to get her dirty hands on other people's money, Tara often matched potential adoptive parents with babies and birth mothers who didn't even exist. She also left expectant mothers, who she was supposed to be taking care of, living in deplorable conditions, with no running water or heat. Tara scammed over $2 million out of families who were desperate to adopt a baby, all so she could spend lavishly at Louis Vuitton and other high-end stores. Tara's luck did eventually run out when some of her victims and associates started seeing red flags. Soon, the FBI would be knocking on Tara's door, and her scam business would crumble. But not before she wreaked havoc on and emotionally shattered countless people's lives. In season two, you'll hear directly from some of Tara's victims and those who worked with her. And they offer a 3D look at this scammer's tactics and shocking behavior. Season two of Dirty Money Moves is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And you're about to hear episode one of the podcast now. Right now would be the perfect time to hit pause, search for Dirty Money Moves in your podcast player, and hit follow or subscribe so you can start binging all of the episodes. Please enjoy this special preview of Dirty Money Moves Season 2. Hey everyone, it's Jamie. Some of you already know that I host another true crime podcast called Dirty Money Moves. Ever since we wrapped Season 1 of the podcast, people have been asking when Season 2 would drop. Well, it's dropped, and the case we're covering in Season 2 is jaw-dropping. In Season 2 of Dirty Money Moves, we're covering the case of con artist Tara Lee, who facilitated adoption scams against vulnerable people. Tara sold herself as being a certified doula and the owner of a licensed adoption agency. In reality, she was none of those things. In order to get her dirty hands on other people's money, Tara often matched potential adoptive parents with babies and birth mothers who didn't even exist. She also left expectant mothers, who she was supposed to be taking care of, living in deplorable conditions, with no running water or heat. Tara scammed over $2 million out of families who were desperate to adopt a baby, all so she could spend lavishly at Louis Vuitton and other high-end stores. Tara's luck did eventually run out when some of her victims and associates started seeing red flags. Soon, the FBI would be knocking on Tara's door, and her scam business would crumble. But not before she wreaked havoc on and emotionally shattered countless people's lives. In Season 2, 
you'll hear directly from some of Tara's victims and those who worked with her, and they offer a 3D look at this scammer's tactics and shocking behavior. Season 2 of Dirty Money Moves is available wherever you listen to podcasts, and you're about to hear Episode 1 of the podcast now. Right now would be the perfect time to hit pause, search for Dirty Money Moves in your podcast player, and hit follow or subscribe so you can start binging all of the episodes. Please enjoy this special preview of Dirty Money Moves Season 2. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.